Good morning. If you've been with us, you know, last week we finally wrapped up our series on Galatians. We've been in Galatians for about 13 weeks, so we ended that last week. And now for the next uh, probably four or five weeks, we're going to hit on just a, a shorter series for a time. And what we're going to do for the next four or five weeks is we're just going to talk about what is the church. We're going to do a series just on, on what church is, what, what that means. And uh, we're going to look at it in a few different ways. Today we're really going to look at kind of the big overview of what, the, what it means by what we say, what we mean when we say the church. And then we're going to look at kind of how that plays out over the next few weeks. But today we're looking at kind of the big idea. And just as we're beginning, I want us to think that, first of all, when we talk about the church, we're not talking about just Church of the Apostles. Uh, we're not talking about just this building or a denomination or an organization. None of those things really fully come to the, the definition of, of what we're talking about, big idea of church. Now, Church of the Apostles is part of that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But we're not talking about just this one in particular. We're talking about what the Bible means by church. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at some different passages, a few different ones that hit on these different things throughout this series. And uh, today we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have a Bible or you want to turn there with me to follow along, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. But before we do that, I want us just to think about big idea what a church is, some broad strokes before we even get into this passage, because there's some things we at least need to talk about. First and foremost, when we say church, when we're doing a series on church, what we mean, what we don't mean, we do not mean a building. Okay? We're not talking about a physical structure. That's not what we mean by church. If tomorrow, uh, hopefully it'll never be the case, but if for some reason this building was taken away, it was gone tomorrow, Church of the Apostles would still be here. Because Church of the Apostles is not made up, it's not this building, it's made up of a body of believers. The church is not a building, it's people. And when you see that, you start to see that in Scripture, and there's a lot of different ways we can talk about that. For example, in Romans chapter 16, uh, Paul calls believers meeting in a church, um, in a house together, that's a church. Just, just a few believers, he says in Priscilla and Aquila's house, he says, greet them for your church and your house. So even just in a house, those meeting together is a church in Romans 16. And then in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the church being all the believers in one city. All the believers in one city being a church. And then you go to Acts 9 and it talks about all the believers in a region being a church. And then you go to Ephesians 5 and it talks about all believers of all time are part of the church. And you start to get a little different idea with each one, and it expands and it gets bigger and bigger. And we could talk about the church in a couple ways. We could say, one, the local church, the local church being this church. We are a local church. We are the Church of the Apostles. We meet here as a group. We are a local church together. But then there's also the universal church. The universal church being all those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. That they've come to God through a relationship and Jesus, they are part of the church no matter where they are in the world. And we are knit together with them through the Holy Spirit, and we're all part of the church. So we can talk about the church here, this church, or we can talk about it in the world, and they both be right. Because the reality is when you look at Scripture, the church is people. It's people with the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, and it's not buildings, and it's not programs, and it's not all these other things that we sometimes associate with. I'll give you an example. Somebody says, where do you go to church? And you say, oh, well, if you go to church here, you say, I go to church here. The well, where, where is your church? Well, my church is over on Grant Road in Dawsonville. And we talk that way a lot of times. It almost has that meaning in our culture that a church is the building. But the reality is that's it's not really biblical. Because we could not have a building and we'd still be just as much of a church. One other way you can think of it, just, just as another thought, is uh, because the church, 
when we talk about church biblically, it includes all believers of all times, even those that have now passed on or with the Lord. We can say that the church is visible and it's invisible. Part of the church we can't see right now because they're not physically with us, but they're still part of the church. It's kind of a neat idea to think about. All the saints of all time are still part of the church. They're just not here with us right now. And when you start to take that and you start to think of it as people and not buildings, you start to see why the Bible talks about the church in certain ways. It calls us the body of Christ, that we are part of the body with Christ as our head. So it, it gives the analogy of us being a body. It talks about um, us being a family. That the church is a family, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ with God our Father. And those, those really, when we, when we talk that way, starts to give us a clearer picture of what the church is biblically. And I just wanted to kind of throw that out there, the big ideas, before we get into this passage. But with that as the big idea, let's look at Second Peter, or First Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. And before I read it, let me just set a little bit... Of the background, because we're jumping in at chapter two, we've been talking a lot about working through books and why that's good. And now today we're going to jump right in first Peter chapter two. Peter is writing to the early church who's being persecuted and he's writing to them and he's encouraging them and he's telling them in a lot of ways who they are is the church of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to see in chapter two. But the backdrop is their persecution and what's happening. So just keep that in your mind as we read this. But let's read. 1 Peter 2, 1 to 12, and then we're going to look at those verses and what it tells us about big idea of the church. So starting in verse 1, it says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him... A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builder, builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are cho- a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at what this teaches us about the church. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter uh, that Peter wrote so long ago that is so relevant for us today. I pray that we would let it uh, speak to us, that we would, we would come to your word open, uh, that your spirit would come and open our eyes and ears, and that we would see clearly what your word has for us, that if there's things in our lives that are out of step with it, that we would let it correct and rebuke us, 
and that we would seek to love you and, and keep your word and follow it to the best of our ability through your spirit. We thank you for what you've done for us. We pray that this morning would be pleasing and honoring to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at big idea of what, what the church is or who we are as a church. And really what we're going to look at today is who we are and what we do. And then the next few weeks what we're going to do is we're going to take that what we do and then we'll look at each the, kind of the things that the church is to do in more detail. We'll do that the next few weeks. But today's kind of a bigger, bigger idea, bigger overview. So who, let's start with the who we are. We're going to, actually, we're going to ask three questions. Who we are or who are we? What do we do and why do we do it? Those are the three questions, but we're going to start with who we are. And uh, this, this may go, hopefully it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, that uh, when, we, when we talk about who we are as a church, I said at the beginning that a church is the body of believers who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's, that's clear from the context throughout Scripture, but it's clear even what Peter says. He says in verse 3, even if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, and then in verse 9 he says, you who are called out of darkness into his marvelous light, the first thing we talk about is who we are, who is the church. The church is those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, faith alone, by grace alone, and what he's done. That's, that's the first part of who we are as the church. That's the very base level. Now we're going to look at what, what, that, what that means for the body of believers, but I, I still feel like I need to say that at the beginning so we're clear. Coming to this building each week and sitting here does not make you part of the church, the true church. It's only when you become a believer and you put your faith in Christ and you get the Holy Spirit that you become part of the, the universal church. We're talking about the church that the Bible talks about. So let's be clear that being part of just physically being here doesn't make you part of the church. That's why, I, why I'm starting with that. But let's now look at what it says. Let's look at what Peter says. And he, he uses a lot of analogies. He says a lot of things that we are as a church. I want you to look at first with me at uh, verses 4 and 5. He says, as you come to him, talking about Jesus Christ, as you come to Christ, you are a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 9 with me because we're going to take all these kind of together here. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And what we see here is as we start to read, Peter has a lot of analogies here about what the church is and who we are. And he gives us a lot of different things and a lot of them tie back to the Old Testament. They have a lot of meaning in the Old Testament. So we're going to take each one of those things he says. He tells us here that we're living stones being built up into a spiritual house. He tells us that we're a holy priesthood. He tells us that we're a chosen race and a holy nation and all these things. And all these really have a lot of meaning and they tie back to the Old Testament. And I want us to start with just the very first one, the image of the temple or the image of the spiritual house that he says there in verse 5. He says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Now we know Old Testament, going back for a minute, Old Testament, there was the temple started with the tabernacle and then the temple, and that's where God's glory dwelt among his people. But now Peter says in the New Testament, through what Jesus Christ has done, we become that temple. It's no longer the Old Testament temple. God doesn't just dwell in a building in some place. He dwells within believers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says 
that don't you know that your body is now the temple because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? And Paul makes it very clear that as individual believers, as we become Christians, the Holy Spirit is given to you. The moment you put your faith in Christ, you get the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of you. So what used to dwell in the temple in the Old Testament now lives inside of you as a believer. But then Peter makes it, and he takes it a little a step further, applying it to the church, because the church is the body of believers together. And he brings it a little further, and he, he gives it a more communal side of it instead of just the individual side. Yes, in 1 Corinthians 6, it's true. Individually, you have the Holy Spirit. But look at what he says here. He says, you... Um, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. That we together, as the body of believers, get built and intertwined together as living stones. We're living stones because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. But then we're built together to be a spiritual house. So together we reflect who God is and his glory collectively. It's not just individually, it's both. And I was thinking about it. I was, I was actually reading through this uh, this week, and I was thinking about that idea. And uh, we got this great picture of, of stones being built together right behind us in this sanctuary. And I was thinking about that the other day. Oh, great. There it is. I don't have to explain stones fitting together. If you take those out and they're just scattered all over the ground, they would be useful maybe for something. But when you take them and you build them together, we get this beautiful wall that frames part of the windows and all the wonderful stuff that goes with it. And what Peter's talking about is when we as believers get built together, we're put together, we're so intertwined in our lives and sharing lives and loving each other that we reflect God that much more. Our spiritual, we're built into a spiritual house together. And when we work together and we become together, we, we reflect. And there's a reason, there's a real clear teaching in Scripture, a reason for that. Simply put, we as believers have all different gifts and things and personalities and all types of stuff. And when you put us together and we become intertwined and in loving each other and working together, it's that much more beautiful of what Christ has done. Because you put us together and we fit together and then you see how that is. It's kind of like um, if you've ever seen the posters where they have the tiny little pixels, the pictures. But when you get really close, you realize that the pictures are, are themselves pictures. They're pictures of different things. But then when you step back, you see this great, big, really neat picture that those little pictures make up. In a lot of ways, that's us as the church. That yes, individually we are made in God's image, and yes, individually we get the Holy Spirit upon faith in Christ. But collectively, it's that much greater what people see when you step back from it. And that's what Peter's talking about. We're built up together to be uh, this image of a spiritual house, the temple that that's how we see God more clearly. So that's the first part, is the church where this image of, of where God dwells. He dwells among us, and he dwells among us collectively and individually. But the second part, look at verse 5. He says, uh, built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And then he says the same thing in verse 9. He calls this a royal priesthood. And I want you to think about that image from the Old Testament as well. If you think about what the priests did in the Old Testament, remember, God calls the Levites to become the priests in the Old Testament, and their job was to go and to make uh, to be intercessors to, before God's throne. They would make uh, sacrifices. They would do these things. They would take care of the temple. They would do all this stuff. But they were the intermediaries between God and man because they would go and they'd make the sacrifices, right? And, and of course, we know we know from the New Testament. If you've ever read Hebrews, 
that that whole thing, the high priest, was all pointing to what Jesus would come and do. Now, when we become believers and we put our faith in Christ, now there's, it, it renders the Old Testament priesthood obsolete because Jesus now takes their place. He does that. So now, I want you to think about this for just a second. When we become believers, Christ is in you and you are in him. We get the Holy Spirit. And now we have direct access to God through what Jesus Christ has done. There's no need for the, for the uh, Old Testament priesthood anymore. And what that means is, as, as part of the church, when we consider what we are as a church, is that each and every one here, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ to be saved, you are now a priest. You're part of the priesthood. You don't need to go to a priest so that he can pray for you. You can pray directly to God. You don't need for a priest to make sacrifices before you because Jesus made the once and all sacrifice on your behalf. And it's a wonderful picture when you think about it. And Peter brings that out here that the priesthood is all of us, that we're all part of the priesthood when we become believers. And he uses these these vivid examples that his audience would have known about uh, the Old Testament and these different things. Uh, to point to the reality of who we are in Christ now. But there's another one he uses in verse 11. And I want you to look at verse 11 with me. We haven't looked at that yet. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passion of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And the next part I want us to consider as the body of believers, as the church of Jesus Christ, what the church means. Essentially what it means is, is that this broken, sinful world is not our final destination. It's not our home. We're exiles here. There's a song that I, the band I like, they have a song called Where is Home? And the chorus says over and over, in every headline it proclaims to us that this is not home for us. And they sing that over and over. And what they're saying is what we see in our world in this broken world and all the things that are messed up, that this isn't our final destination. I want you to even think about that for a minute. We live in a fallen, sinful world that has all types of problems. And when you become a believer, the Bible talks about that we are dead in our trespasses of sin, that we are dead spiritually before we become a believer, that when you are saved, you get the Holy Spirit, and now you are a new creation, and you're brought to life in a way that you weren't, but you're still in the midst of this broken, sinful world. You have the down payment, the first fruits, the Holy Spirit living inside of you of what's to come. Jesus has already won. He's already given you direct access to him through the Holy Spirit. But yet we're still living in this world. And you can see real quickly when you're a new creation and you get your spiritualized. The perfect example, go back and read what we talked about in Galatians chapter 5. The war between the flesh and the spirit. That's a great picture of what we're talking about. When you become a believer, you now have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, but you still have a fleshly body and you're still living in the midst of all kinds of stuff in this world. And the reality is, what happens is, that, uh, that we aren't really at home anymore. When you become a believer, there's a lot of things that are out of step with what Scripture says. There's a lot of things that are out of step with what the Holy Spirit bears witness to your own heart. And it, it, it's, you can understand why Peter says that as the church. That we are exiles and that we are out of step. It doesn't take much to, to see this. If you open your Bible and then open the newspaper and compare the two, you're going to see this pretty quickly. Or you flip on the TV and consider what's happening in the world. And you can see real clearly they're not, that we are out of step. And we aren't quite uh, at home with where we are right now. You can see 
Um, just think of Jesus' words and the way he teaches and what he tells us to be outwardly focused and to love others and to love others more than ourselves. And then you turn on the TV and everything is about instant gratification and what you want and what makes you happy. And it's the exact opposite. In a lot of ways, it's very much the exact opposite what uh, our world is trying to push on us and what Scripture says. And you can see why Peter says that. But the problem with that. What happens with that, I shouldn't say the problem with it, but what happens with us, our problem with it, is we oftentimes, uh, we go one of two ways a lot of times when it comes to that. Yes, we don't really fit in with this world and what the world's saying, but what happens a lot of times is because it's all around us and it's all pervasive and we're bombarded with it all the time, sometimes even unknowingly we assimilate to our world. We let our world be what guides us. Well, this is what the world says. And we go, oh, and sometimes it's, it's ignorance. We go, oh, yeah, that's, that sounds good. And it's maybe in direct conflict with what Scripture says, but we don't realize it. Or maybe we do realize it, but it sounds really good. And it sounds great. And our fleshly side goes, yes. And what happens is we start to look like the world. And the sad truth is that happens in lots and lots of churches. The churches start to look just like the world. You can walk into a church a lot of times and you go, it's no different. It doesn't seem any different. And that's a sad truth. But then on the other end of the spectrum, there's also another way that we miss this. And the reality is sometimes we go, man, well, the world is so messed up and it's not right and it's not what we are not at home here. So let's withdraw. Let's get believers and let's get together and we'll be a tight knit group and we'll keep everything out. We'll build high walls and we'll get together and we won't let anything, anything bad in. We'll keep that out and we'll keep our good stuff in. And we withdraw. And when we do that, whether it's assimilate or, or withdraw, whatever, both ends of the spectrum, both are equally wrong biblically. If we say, well, we're going to withdraw and we're going to hole up on our own, I'm going to tell you, that misses the whole of grace and what Christ has done for us. Because what comes out of that is what happens is we get together and we go, no, 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 we'll just keep us together and we'll keep all the bad out. And what that says is those people out there are bad and and us in here, we've got it together. That totally misunderstands your standing before God. We're just as messed up. <laughs> I hate to tell you, but the reality is we're just as messed up. The only difference is, is God's grace has entered into our lives. So the, the, the us versus them and let's hold up doesn't work. And not only does it not work in that way, it also throws out a lot of Jesus' commands and it throws out a lot of scripture and so if the answer is not we hole up on our own, and the answer is not certainly not we don't assimilate and just like, look like, just like the rest of the world, what is the answer? What are we to do? What are we to do? What is the church to be? Biblically, what does it say the church is to be? Look at verse 12 with me. Keep, yourselves, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And, and you see it here with Peter. You see it throughout the scripture. You th see it through the way Jesus talks. But the reality is the church answer, what we're supposed to do, is we're supposed to be an alternative. We're supposed to be a better way. We're supposed to go out and you live in the world. You live in the world, but you don't become like the world. That's why we say in the world, but not of it. And you go and you live a better way and you love others and you, and you and that's what Peter's saying. You keep your conduct among them honorable so that they see the difference. 
We're supposed to show what it looks like. That's why when he talks about us being built up together as a spiritual house, we're supposed to show how radically different we are because of what Jesus Christ has done for us and the way we love each other and the way we care for each other. That's what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to paint such a vivid picture of Christ's love for all those around us. Think about what, G- what, what Peter says here is very much just echoing what Jesus said over and over. In Matthew uh, chapter 5, in verses 15 and 16, Jesus says that you're supposed to be a city set on a hill. You're supposed to be a light. He says you're not supposed to be a light that's hid under a bushel. You're supposed to be put up on a stand for all to see. And that's exactly what Peter's saying here, that we're supposed to be, as the church, living in the world as an example of what it looks like when Jesus Christ has entered into your life and changed you. We're not supposed to hole up, and we're not supposed to look like everyone else. We're supposed to be in it, but totally, totally and radically different perspective. This isn't our home. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to redo all of it. But that means in the meantime, we're supposed to be living what it's going to look like. A foretaste of what's to come so that people see what's going to what's happening, what's to come. And we're supposed to proclaim with our lives and look at verse nine with me. We're supposed to proclaim with our lives the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're supposed to create a different way in the way we live. We're supposed to live changed lives, and that's what the church is supposed to be, a light in a dark world. That's, that, that's our, <clears throat> our mission of who we are and what we're to be. And what happens with that, and uh, this is the, the not so, I shouldn't say not so good news. It's actually really good the way Peter talks about it. But in verse 12, it says, look at the end of verse 12. He says, you do this, you keep your conduct among the, among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers. Peter says, when you do this, when you live it out, when you are different, when you're in the world but not of it, and you're living something different, you will be persecuted. And remember, that's, that's kind of the whole point of this book, a main point that he's getting to, and it's a main point of even this passage, is what he says is you will look so radically different, you will be so out of step with the world that people will ridicule, ridicule you and persecute you, and right now in some parts of the world they'll kill you depending on where you are. And you know what Peter's answer is to that? He says, that's okay. Actually, he doesn't say it's okay. He says, that's good. And the reason he says it's a good is he says, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. He says, you're going to be persecuted, but that's okay because it gives you a great opportunity to stand up for what Jesus Christ has done so that they can see the way you handle the persecution and then that will lead more to Christ. If you have any doubt about that, you could really look at anything. And there's so many things in Scripture. I was thinking about uh, a lot of times in our in our country, we we, we we cut everything down the middle. If you haven't noticed the news, it's pretty obvious in what happens in our country and the way it's run right now. One side says one thing and one side says the other, and they're so adamantly opposed. But as I thought about it, uh, you could say the Bible speaks clearly against homosexuality, and it does. And it speaks clearly against abortion. And it speaks clearly against having sex outside of marriage. And you say that, and that will make a lot of people in this country very angry, very quickly. And we can go, yeah, yeah, they're, they're way off on that, those, those people. <laughs> well, we can do that. But then I want you to think about some of the other things Jesus says. He says that we are to turn the other cheek, that we are to be radically involved 
with and for the poor, that we are to speak out about unjust business practices, that we are to speak out about those that are uh, being oppressed for whatever reason. We're supposed to speak out for the factories that make our stuff and they use little kids in other countries to do so so we can buy stuff cheap. We're supposed to speak out for them. And when suddenly you start to hold those things up, all of a sudden it starts to cut a few more people than just those people. It starts to get all of us, really. And what happens is when we start to look at all the things that Scripture speaks to, it doesn't matter what side you're on politically or where in the world you live. The reality is following Jesus all the way is going to lead to your persecution. You're going to be out of step with the world. And you may hear that and go, well, that's... I'm really doing a good job of selling the church here, right? Like, you, sh- you should come join this church, and we're going to do everything, and we're going to be totally outcasts in the world, and people are going to look at us and go, what's the deal? And, and you're going to be persecuted. But the reality is I want to get to that of, of the why we would do this. And, and really we could even ask the question of why would we want to do this? You know, when we really look at what it's saying, that we'll be persecuted and we will be out of step with the world. And what that, but Peter gives us a great reason why we would want to do it. And I just want to point, bring us to a couple things as we're, as we're coming to a close. And the first I want you to see is in verse 9. He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. The reason that we, why we want to do it is because if you're a believer, you know what it means to have been called out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And not only that, when that happens, when your eyes are open to see what Jesus Christ has done for you, it puts you in the same corner with God in verse 4 because it says, As you come to him, talking about Jesus, he is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God he is chosen and precious. That's why when you're called out of the darkness, he becomes precious. And then the thought of being persecuted because you're proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you is not so big of a deal because you see him for who he is. And when that happens, that completely changes the way we look at this. We can go, oh, the world, well, this, it might cost me this if I proclaim his excellencies and I start to live this life that's in line with what he did for us. But... When you consider what he did for us, that doesn't mean anything. To walk out of step with the world for a short time in your life so that he can be glorified, let's do that all the way, every time. And I want to end with this. Um, We're going to get into how we do that more the next couple of weeks. This, I told you at the beginning, this is just kind of big overview, but I want to end with verses, and it's not even part of what we looked at, but verses 21 to 24 of 1 Peter. And that gives you the why we want to do this. And it says it better than I can say it, so I'm just going to read what it says. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness and by his wounds we have been healed. That's our why right there. 
That's our why we want to do it. And no matter what it costs us, that's the why. And so when we consider who we are as the church, we're to be different. We're to be a priesthood of believers who loves this world so much that we go out to them, but we stay different. And we show a radically different way because of what Jesus did for us and the example he gave us and the fact that he grants us grace by what he's done. So let's, let's pray. And uh, Dear Lord, we thank you that you've called us out of the darkness into your marvelous light. We thank you that uh, you count us as part of your body, that we as the church get the opportunity to proclaim your excellencies. I pray that we would be faithful to that, that we would seek to do that in every area of our lives, that we would seek to see everything in our life and bring it into uh, direct accord with your word and what it says, that we would seek to line up with you, no matter what that looks like to the rest of the world, that we would uh, just uh, lovingly go out and that our love for each other would be evident and the love for those around us, and that when we're persecuted for your name, that you would give us the grace to respond the way you responded, that we would lovingly still care for those around us. We thank you for what you've done for us. We pray that you would move in this body to make us the church that you want us to be. We thank you, thank you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.